Good morning. How are you? And please be seated and thank you so much for being here, every single one of you. We are now, for those of you that are visiting, you've come and we're, we're closing down the book of Acts. We've been studying it for some time. And we've come now to the last chapter, the last few verses. We've taken a look at Paul and we've taken a look at his life and we've seen that he's made these journeys. And what we've just seen in his life just recently is he went from, from Jerusalem where they, they put him on trial. They, meaning the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious and, and, and political leaders of their day. They put him on trial and they said that he was in sin, that they was worthy of death. But they could find nothing wrong with him. And so because he was a Roman citizen, they had to take him to Roman officials. Three different meetings he goes to these uh, uh, trials and, and at each time they found him innocent. And so he pleads that they send him to Rome because he wanted to sit under a trial with Caesar so that finally he could be free. Well, they send him to Rome at the worst possible time. They send him at the time where most sailors would not go on the sea. It was terrible weather. They hit the worst of the weather. They hit a, a northern wind that came down and just disrupted the sea that they were on. And so for 14 days and 14 nights, we just read Paul and these sailors and the other people on this ship were at the mercy of the wind and the storm and, as Paul would see it, at the mercy of his God. And so for 14 days and 14 nights, they couldn't see the sun at day. They couldn't see the stars at night. They were tossed and turned everywhere that they could be blown. And they ended up on a little island called Malta. And from Malta... They stayed there three months, and, and now they've shipped him on to Rome. And Paul has now landed in Rome where God said that he was going to be, and for a reason. This is kind of the overview of where we are in the book of Acts. As we conclude the study of this great book, we've seen the very essence of church. We've seen it from its beginning in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost to where it moved out into Judea and to Samaria and then went out into the world as Paul is taking the good news of who Jesus Christ is to those in Rome. That is to fulfill the orders that they received from Jesus Christ just before he left this earth. In Acts chapter 1, the 8th verse, God gets before, well, Jesus Christ comes before his disciples and he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the most remotest parts of this earth. And so that's what, that's what brings the gospel, that's what brings this good news to you and me today. They were faithful to do what God asked them to do. But as we come now to the conclusion of this book, what you and I need to realize is this. Just because the book of Acts ends does not mean that the whole journey of what Acts represents ends. No, on the contrary. The book of Acts is still being written today by those of us that love the Lord, by those of us that want to follow the orders of Jesus Christ. That is to present the church in all of its glory. We, we spent quite a few weeks on looking at what an Acts 2 church looks like. What does a church look like 
when, the way God had wanted to be formed. And we saw in Acts chapter 2, I think starting with verse 40, let me just say 47, but I think that's the wrong verse. But it said, the apostles told the people that had just come to Christ, we want you to be continually devoting yourselves. And then we pointed out six things there in Acts chapter 2. To the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to communion, the breaking of bread, which we're going to have communion today at the end of our service, to prayer, to sharing our, uh, our finances with one another, and to worship. And that's what a true church looks like. And that, that essence of church, even though we stop this great book of Acts, does not stop until the Lord comes back and takes those of us who have trusted and believe in Him to be with Him in heaven. Until that time, you and I, we all, all true believers in Jesus Christ, we have all been called to continue the orders that have been given to us through Jesus Christ to the apostles. And that is to build the church that began here in the book of Acts, ordered none other than by Jesus Christ. So now Paul is in Rome. He is now in house arrest. He can't leave his house. He's still in chains, as you'll see in verse 20. But people can come to him, and we'll see that his mission never varies. Watch. Read with me Acts chapter 28, starting with verse 16, and let's read to the end of this great book. By the way, when it says we, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And Luke is the one who journeyed with Paul most of this trip. Luke and some others and Paul. And so as it says in verse 16, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Verse 17. And it happened that after three days, he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Verse 18, And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusations against my nation. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Verse 21, they had a question to, the Lord, to Peter, I mean, excuse me, to Paul. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But, but we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect. In other words, this new movement called Christianity or the way. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some of them were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. 
When they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And here's what he said, middle of verse 25, very powerful. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You'll keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. Verse 28, Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. Verses 30 and 31. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. And so the book of Acts, as it is written here, ends. But as I have already explained to you and me, it doesn't end there. It is still going on. We are still the book of Acts being written today. We are still following, hopefully, the very essence of what Jesus Christ expects of us. We are, hopefully, taking the orders that he gave to the apostles of how to form a church. And we are establishing the church today, at least here at The Rock. We are establishing the church today as close to the orders that we received long ago through the apostles from Jesus Christ that has been passed on eventually to us. And our responsibility is to pass it on to others. Should the Lord not return in your or my lifetime, should He wait longer, we have the duty to pass on to the next generation what He has given to us through the apostles. And so the book of Acts, even though it ends, really doesn't. It goes on until the Lord comes back. What I want to try to to say to you today as we, we conclude this great, great, great book is to think through your life. We're going to have two things in this service. We're going to have an altar call and we're going to have communion. And I'm going to ask you to kind of consider where is your heart right now with the Lord? I think you'll see that it falls in place as we study through this. And then after we have an altar call, we'll, if whoever, if anyone comes forward, uh, we will then go back to our seats and we will finish by having a communion. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for this very moment. Dear Father, would you please open up our eyes? Would you open up our hearts and our minds so that we might, by your grace, that we might behold wonderful things that is written within your word, the law? Would you please move me aside? Please, dear Father, allow us to see and to understand who you are through the wonderful words of your faithful servant, Paul. Teach us, Father, as only you can. Allow us to comprehend the wonders of who you are. And now, Father, bless us. Bless us, bless us, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. In verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, Paul does what is normal. What is normal is you've already seen 
when Peter or Paul or any of the fellows went into a community and they went in there new, they always went to the synagogues to speak to the Jews first. That was, that was what they were told to do. In fact, uh, Paul makes this statement in the book of Romans. He says that we are to go to the Jews first. I'm not ashamed, he says, Romans, 1, Romans uh, 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because he says it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. And then he writes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And so Paul's pattern was to go to the Jews. But since he is in chains, as we read in verse 20, he cannot go to the synagogue. So he requested that they would come to him so he might explain to them why he's in Rome and why he's in these chains. He's told them now, I'm in Rome to have Caesar try me. Because, he says, before four different Roman officials, as we've seen from chapters 23, 24, 25, and 26, he says, I've met before some Roman officials, and every single one of them has found me innocent. He said, I met before Claudius Lysias. He said, I find no guilt in this guy. But the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, politically and, and, and religiously, they said, no, he is guilty. We want him killed. And so Claudius passes them on to the two governors, to Felix and Festus, both Roman officials. They say, we find no guilt in this man. They say, no, we find him guilty, we want him murdered. So they take him, Paul, to King Herod Agrippa and to Bernice. Each of those people affirmed Paul was innocent. And at each case, the Sanhedrin said, no, we find him guilty. So Paul says, enough. I want to go to Rome and let Caesar, let Caesar judge me. But, as true in every case in Paul, you and I have seen this, every time that he went before a trial, <clears throat> he barely talked about whether he was innocent or not. Every time he got before people, there was a purpose in his mind, and that was to tell them about who Jesus Christ is. That's the reason we gather together. So look what it says in verse 20. Paul gets to the very heart of why he called them together and why he's in Rome. He says, for this reason, verse 20, I have requested to see you. This is the Jewish leaders. I want to speak with you because I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Now, that's the key. What is the glorious hope of Israel? The hope of Israel was that the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come to this earth and set up His kingdom. Paul says the Messiah came. He gave to mankind eternal life and the presence of His coming kingdom, but He gave this through His death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That teaching of a resurrected Christ antagonizes the Jews. It did then, it does today. It antagonizes more than just the Jews. I've, I've been around people that sometimes get a chance to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. I've seen people say, boy, I've got a love of God. I love God. No problem. You can say that all day long. i got a love of the big man upstairs. No problem. But have a person say, 
I have a love for my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can hear the crowd start to murmur. I, there was a friend of mine, a very, very famous friend. I, I won't mention who it is. He happened to be Jewish. And he asked me, what happened in your life that changed you? And so I shared with him my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if I spoke to him five minutes, ten minutes, or a half an hour. I don't remember because it was, it was just a blur. And I admired this person so much that I wanted to share with him that what happened to my heart, what happened to my life. And I shared to him as clearly as I knew how to share with anyone my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he has changed me. And when I was through, he listened politely. At the end, when I was through, he says, you done? And I said, yeah. He said, don't you ever do that to me again. Don't you ever, ever tell me about Jesus Christ again, telling me that he is our Messiah. I don't believe that. And he was angry with me. He wouldn't speak with me for a while. Um, I had to remind him I didn't, I didn't ask him. I just was answering what he had asked me. But to this day, there is those who are antagonistic towards Jesus Christ as our Messiah. Now, amazingly, the Jewish people knew better. I want to turn to you just a place in Scripture, but there are so many. There are myriads of places. While I'm speaking right now, can you hold your place here in Acts chapter 28 and find Isaiah chapter 26? We're going to look at Isaiah and we're going to look at Daniel. But I promise you, I, I, I could have chosen myriads of places. You see, the Jewish people knew of the hope of Israel. They knew what Paul was speaking of. And yet they rejected this idea that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They rejected on the grounds that he, was, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. They, they rejected that. And yet they knew better. In Isaiah chapter 26, look at verse 19. Isaiah prophesied, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. That's resurrection, folk. And you who lie in the dust, you'll awake and shout for joy. For your dew is, is as the dew of the dawn. And the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. As I say to you, there are so many places that reminded the Jews throughout the Old Testament that there was a time for a resurrection from the dead. It even mentions in Daniel, as I mentioned to you a little while ago, I'll read out of Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Daniel says, Many of you who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake to a resurrection. That they, they knew of the resurrection. And he said, Those, some to everlasting life, but others to disgraced and everlasting contempt. And so they had the idea, they understood the whole idea of heaven and hell, or at least a place called eternal life and another place that's a condemnation. They, they knew about this. This is not new to them. And so if you turn back to Acts chapter 28, Paul has made this statement. And so they say to Paul, wait, Paul, in verses 21 and 22, we've heard... We've, we've not heard, we've not heard that you've done anything wrong. We haven't received letters from Judea, it says in verse 21, concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But, look at verse 22, but they say, we desire to hear from you what your views are concerning this sect. In other words, this whole new 
movement, this religious movement, this place thing called the sect or the way or Christianity, this new movement, we want to hear about it because they say at the end of verse 22, it's known to us, it is spoken against everywhere. Everybody had, not everybody, but most people had something against this new movement called Christianity. And so Paul says, come back. I will speak to you of it. And in verse 23, it said, they set a day for Paul. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers. They wanted to hear. And he started to explain to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus Christ. And he used both the law of Moses, as it says in tw verse 23, and the prophets from morning to evening. You, you need to note the, the vehicle that Paul used in trying to persuade them. He spoke out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. In other words, he opened up the Old Testament and he showed them from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was to come. They didn't know his name, but they knew that the Messiah was coming. And the great hope that they had was the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul explained to them, Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead to show us that we too will live with him forever and ever and ever and that he would forgive us of our sins. He preached out, Paul did, out of the word of God. That, that is what we all are supposed to do. It is out of this that, that I reason with you, that I try to persuade you to become the man, the woman, the, the, the young person, the child, that I try to persuade you and me that we are to be who God has asked us to be as believers. Once we come to Christ, our, it, the process doesn't stop. It, it starts, it even builds from there that we become more the, the man and the woman of God that God's called us to be. But what normally happens when you share the gospel is division. Look at verse 24. It's, it's clear, some of them were persuaded by the things that Paul spoke of, but others would not believe. They just wouldn't believe. But that, that's always been that way as well. If you look back at, say, Acts chapter 14, for instance, verse 4, when the apostles were, were, went from community to community and city to city and trying to persuade people to come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, in Acts chapter 14, the people of the city were divided. That's what the gospel does. It, it, it puts us into two different camps. Some sided with the Jews while others sided with the apostles. In other words, some did not believe that Jesus was the, was the Messiah where others did believe that he was the Messiah. And so for those who said, I just can't believe, I don't believe Paul, Paul left them with this word. It's out of Isaiah chapter 6, but you don't need to turn to Isaiah because Paul quotes Isaiah here in, in, in Acts chapter 28, verses 25, 26, 27, and 28. And he quotes what Isaiah said. And I want you to read carefully these words that, that were prophesied by Isaiah, spoken by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would often use Isaiah when he spoke to the religious leaders of their days and they rejected him. And Paul said to those who said no to Jesus Christ, read with me please, Ch chapter 28 of Acts, verse 25, when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And here's what he said. Middle of verse 25, Paul said, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. He said this, verse 26, go to this people and say, in other words, go to the Jews. Tell them, you'll keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You'll keep on seeing, 
but you'll not perceive because the heart of this people has become dull. With their eyes, they scarcely hear. Excuse me, with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. You want to look at that. It's not that they cannot see. It is that they have chosen not to see. With their eyes, they have closed their eyes. Not that their eyes were closed. They chose to close their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and return. And I should heal them. The healing there has never been in Scripture a physical healing. Physical healings were always done in Scripture to verify the Word of God. God does miracles and He still heals today, but not like He did back then, not on a general rule. He does it at His good pleasure, but nobody knows why or how. All we do is faithfully pray for those who are sick. But in those days, when they healed for someone, they got well right away because they wanted to verify the Word of God that they were going to preach. And so He said, you've, you've seen with your eyes, but you just don't see because you have chosen not to see. And so he says, they haven't seen, they haven't heard, so I won't heal them. Verse 28, Paul says, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. You see, the Jews in Rome refused to believe. They were continuing on their nation's sad history. And that was the rejection of God's messengers, the rejection of God's word. May I say to you with as much sincerity as I can muster and as much honesty and love as I can for you, to reject the word of God is a terrible thing. To reject God's spoken and written and inspired word is a terrible, terrible thing. Listen to what Jeremiah says in this example. You don't need to turn there. Listen to it. He says, since the day, or while I'm reading Jeremiah, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 21? It's a parable. It, it confirms what is being said by Isaiah. But listen to Jeremiah. Listen while you're turning to uh, Matthew chapter 21. Jeremiah says, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, God is speaking, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them. Yet you will not listen to me or incline your ear. You've stiffened your neck. You do more evil than your fathers. Listen, it wasn't that they couldn't hear. It wasn't that they couldn't see. It was that they chose not to hear. They chose not to see. Jesus gives this parable in Matthew chapter 21. It is an awesome parable. It is a frightening parable. He is speaking to the religious leaders of his day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It says in Matthew chapter 21, as Jesus gives this parable of a, a man who owns some land and left. Read with me. It's a great, great place in Scripture. Verse 33 of Matthew chapter 21. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There's a landowner planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vine, wine press in it and he built a tower and he rented it out to vine growers and he went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. 
So in verse 36, Jesus Christ in this parable says again, He sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. And so in verse 37, Jesus Christ in this parable says, Well, afterwards, He sent His Son to them, said, They'll respect My Son. But when the vine growers saw the Son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill Him and seize His inheritance. And so in verse 39 says, They took Him, threw Him out on the vineyard, and they killed Him. Therefore, the, que the question comes, Jesus asks, When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine growers? And so the religious leaders of their day said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he's going to rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds in the, at the proper season or at the proper time. And Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and be given to a nation that produces the fruit of it. And the person who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever this stone falls, they will be scattered like dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they, they understood that he was speaking about them, and they sought to seize him, but they feared the people because the people held him to be a prophet. Jesus Christ was saying, you hear this parable. This vine grower, this landowner planted this place and, and, and had some people come and take care of it. And then he left. And when he sent back his servants, when he sent back his people to, to receive what was owed him, they killed. They killed his servants. They killed his people. Finally, he sent his son, saying, they'll, they'll at least listen to and respect my son. But they did the same thing to his son, wanting his son, the son's inheritance. There's a warning. On your way back to Acts, turn to John chapter 12. You won't hear this in many churches preached because we want to deny the fact that there comes a time in your life and my life where we must Listen to the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to these people in the book of Acts. In the 28th chapter, he is saying, Isaiah prophesies about you. You're going to see, and yet you're not going to see. You're going to hear, and yet you're not going to hear. Because you've closed your ears, and you've closed your eyes. And in John, God says, listen. God says, beware. Because to continually reject and unbelieve in me will ultimately come a time where you will be unable to believe. In John chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus Christ, it says, verse 37, But though he, Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. In other words, he came and did everything that he could do to make them trust in him. He has come to you and me, folks, and he has done everything and said everything he needs to say for you and me to believe in him. And so he came, and yet they were not believing in him. And so, as it does in the book of Acts, the 28th chapter, Jesus Christ uses this example here in verse 38 of John chapter 12. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, note verse 39, they could not believe. 
For Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or perceive with their hearts and be converted. And I healed them. People, I tell you, it is a terrible and awesome thing to reject God's spoken and inspired and written word and not to take heed of his messengers. Back to Acts chapter 28, please. So Paul says, if you do not listen, in verse 28, God will send his message to the Gentiles. Today, in our case, he is sending the message to others, those of us who are not Gentiles but refuse to listen. He will send his message to others who will be given an opportunity to listen and to believe. Now what I'd like to ask you to do is to just sit for a moment and think. We're going to have a time for you to come forward. There are many of you that have asked me, would you please have an altar call again? You had an altar call before. I was intimidated, and I didn't feel like I could come forward. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. And I understand that feeling. I do. I understand it from the bottom of my heart. But let me say to you this morning, if you cannot walk forward in the, in the, in the presence of people who believe and trust and love you in a church... Where in the world will you ever make your profession of faith? Where will you ever? One of the kindest things that ever happened to me was one of the most difficult things that ever happened to me. And that was when I came to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I went to a, a, a church meeting. It was a, a kind of an evangelistic meeting. And the guy called me up without... I didn't know he was going to do it. And I, I walked up forward and I was scared to death. But in retrospect, it was the kindest thing that anyone ever did to me because it somehow, someway gave me the boldness to be the man that I am today. And so we're going to have some music in a moment. And I want you to come forward. I want you to consider, number one, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior or if you've never openly professed Him as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've asked Him into your heart. We'd love for you to come forward. Maybe you're a person that has accepted the Lord and, and there's been something going on in your life, maybe for a day or two, maybe a week or two, a month or two, maybe even a year, and you feel like a hypocrite. You feel like, I, who am I? I mean, who am I? I ask you to come forward. Leave that here at the altar. If you confess your sin, He's faithful. He's just, He'll forgive you your sin. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So for those that want to come to accept the Lord or just want to come and, and profess Him for the first time or just want to come and, and leave something here at the altar, we're going to ask you to come forward. I don't want you to come forward for me, God forbid. I don't want you to come forward for this church. When you come forward, I want you to come forward because you're pleasing God, that you're coming forward honoring Him for this moment in your life. And so we're going to have a song and just going to open up the altar for you. I'll just be quiet for a while. If someone, if something is speaking within your heart, I beg of you, not for me, for your own conscience, for your own sake, to come. Come and allow the Lord to just kind of wash over you, just cleanse you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. 
come just as you are. Come. Well, um, for those of you that are here, there's no secrets. Um, God takes whatever faith it is that you have, whatever it is you've come here, He knows. You don't need to explain to us. He will take what, whatever there is. He will take whatever faith it is that you have, and He will deal with you. He will never forgive, I mean forget, or never uh, use this against you. He just loves you. Let's pray for everybody here and everybody out there. Father, for those that come, for whatever reason, would you bless them? Bless them deeply, Father. Let them feel your presence and let them feel the wonders of who you are to make this step of faith and trust in you for whatever it is that they are praying for. Would you touch their hearts? I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to look with me as we close. In verses 30 and 31, what we find out is this book ends fairly abruptly. It says, Paul stayed, verse 30, for two full years in his own rented quarters, and he was welcoming all who came to him. In other words, he still wasn't able to leave. He was still in chains. But what he was doing in verse 31 was preaching the kingdom of God. He was teaching everyone concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with openness and unhindered. God gave him that honor. Paul was a prisoner in his own rented quarters in Rome. And the conditions of his imprisonment did not keep him from preaching and teaching Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. And I think that's there for you and for me, to see that there should be nothing in our circumstances that keeps us from serving the Lord. What happened during Paul's two years there in Rome? Well, he wrote four New, New Testament books. He wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And in Acts, what we have seen was the first church. And the first church did what we are trying to do here at this church today. It passed down through many hands, finally coming to us the message of Christ. The question, I think, for you and for me as we take communion is will future generations take a look at us, the Rock Community Church, and see that we ran our segment of the race just as faithfully as we could that we would give to the next generation as closely as possible an Acts 2 New Testament church, a church that loves the Word of God, a church that loves to have fellowship with one another, a church that will have communion, a church that will pray, a church that will give, and a church that will worship. That's the church. When Jesus Christ was with His disciples, and with, with those, the people that were following Him the closest, He he told them about the very essence of who he is. And as only he could do, he, he broke some bread. And he gave each of them a piece of this bread, and he said, look, this is my body. And then he went on to tell them that he was going to sacrifice himself for them, that his, his body would be sacrificed. And he says, whenever you eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. What he was saying basically is that remember what took place upon the cross. I did it for you. Now, in that, 
your remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done and your remembrance of what he is to you this moment at this time will vary. There's no sense for me to tell you what your remembrance ought to be. For some of you, it'll be something very tender. For some of you, it'll be something real deep. But you remember. What you and I need to remember is that Jesus Christ promised that he would give us everlasting life. And he did so by going to the cross. And so as you take this bread, remember what Jesus Christ means to you. Shortly thereafter, he took some wine and made an amazing statement. He said, this is my blood. It shall be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. It's a new, it's a new covenant. From no, more, no longer will you have to go elsewhere for the forgiveness of your sins. You can have that right then, right there, right now. If you ask God to forgive you of your sins, your sins are forgiven. This is the new covenant that I give to you because through my blood that was shed on the cross, my blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And so he said to the disciples, when you drink of this, drink of it in remembrance of me and for your memory of what that means to you this morning. It will run deep, I'm certain. It has in my heart to think that my Lord has saved me and forgiven me my sin. I've never taken communion when I've felt worthy. I've always felt inadequate. But I've never gone to the Lord through my feelings. I've gone to the Lord remembering that He's made promises to me that He loves me in spite of myself. That He's made promises to me that He will give me everlasting life in spite of myself. And so, drink of this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Father, we've completed the best we know how study the book of Acts. We now move, Father, back into the Old Testament. And we'll talk about your your prophet. We'll talk about um, all that, Father, he will mean to each of us as we're going to take a look at the book of Joshua. And we'll see what he has done and what his life can mean when we take a look at it and examine. And so, Father, I pray that you would through the book of Joshua, as you did through the book of Acts, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things concerning who you are as we study through your law. Lord, thank you so much for everybody here. I love them so deeply. I thank you for everyone who came forward, but I thank you for everyone, really, Father. I thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of this church. I thank you for the privilege it is to love these people. pray you give me even more love for each and every one of them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I love you. I cannot even begin to tell you what you mean to me. Thank you for letting me be a part of this church. If you've come forward and you want the packet, Pastor Bill will give it to you over there. If not, have a great day. I love you. I'll see you next week. We'll start the study of Joshua.